Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That day will be a great day when we stand before him and cry, Holy, 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 along with the cherubim and the seraphim. And we have an eternity to praise the Lord without sin, without shame, without any of the things that we deal with in this fallen place that we call home, earth. That day will be a great day. Turn with me, please, to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, chapter 4. And while you're finding it, we don't know a lot about Epaphras, really. But apparently, he was the pastor of the church of Colossae. He, uh, it's pretty silent as to his background, to his status, but obviously he was one who was approved by Paul. The letter to the Colossians is only the second church, the other one being Romans, that the Apostle Paul had not visited before he wrote them. He did not visit Colossae before he sent the letter. He did not visit Rome before he wrote Romans. And of course later he would be in both of these places. But I would imagine that there had to be an awful amount of trust, especially knowing and understanding the climate during the days of the early church when betrayal was on every corner, when lives were in danger for naming the name of Jesus, something, praise God, we have been blessed with in the United States of America so far not to have experienced. There is persecution, but it's on a different front here in this country. But Epaphras was trusted by Paul. And we understand that teamwork was the hallmark of Paul's ministry. Everywhere he went, everything he did, there was a team involved. Other prominent members of his ministry team included Silas, Barnabas, Luke, and Timothy. And Paul mentored and served with many others, including Epaphras. And for just a few moments tonight, I'm not going to speak long on this subject, but I want to share with you four main lessons that we can learn from what the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians about Epaphras' life and ministry. And that we can apply these four lessons to our lives and ministries even now, today, 2017 and beyond. It has been said in the past, and rightfully so, that every single born-again child of God has a ministry unto the Lord. And that's right. Every believer is called, according to the New Testament, to engage in certain things. We are called to be sanctified. We are called to to live lives that are set apart. That calling in particular deals with the heart of the Christian. We are also called to pray and to intercede, first of all, for those in authority, and then over all of the needs that we are brought, and that's brought to us by anyone in the body of Christ or otherwise. 
We are all called to do our part to give to the work of the Lord. And giving is a, a very beautiful ministry. Giving is a ministry unto the Lord. Prayer is a ministry unto the Lord. Sanctification is a ministry unto the Lord. Everything about the believer's life is a ministry. It is also an act of worship. When you praise the Lord, that's not the only time you're worshiping Him. But you worship Him when you write that check to help spread the taking of the gospel all over this world. You worship the Lord when you write the check that goes into a benevolence outreach. You worship the Lord when you write the check that goes into uh, putting Bibles into people's hands, etc. and so forth. You also worship the Lord when you pray. And you worship the Lord when you allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify your life and to set it apart for His glory. So yes, every Christian has been issued a call. Jesus said, come, follow me. And we are all supposed to obey that call. That does not, however, place every Christian in a five-fold office of authority. I want you to hear that. As with the physical body, most organisms can only have one head. And they don't work too well if you've got 50 heads on the thing and no arms or legs. And so God will set people in the body as it pleases Him. And when we try to take authority that God has not given us, and I'm going to tell you this right now, the degree from that university is not what gives one authority in the body. The piece of paper, the little pocket card that I have in my wallet is not what gave me a five-fold place of authority. The Holy Spirit gives gifts unto men as He sees fit. He places us in the body, and we are expected by the Lord to function where He places us. He can't place you in a body at home on the couch. He cannot place you in a body if you are antisocial, and I, I'll tell you, I love my me time. I spend a lot of time hiking in the woods in prayer and receiving nuggets and receiving wisdom from the Lord and messages. And I, I get all my messages almost alone. But He sends us out into the culture that we live in and He expects us to be there with a word of deliverance on our lips as He places us in our role in the body of Christ. And as we look at Epaphras, we want to see how he approached that, and then we're going to slide over a couple books to the book of 3 John, and we're going to look at Diotropes for just a moment. But first, Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, and here's what the Scripture says. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ greets you, 
always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. I want you to notice that statement right there. This is the apostle of all apostles. Paul. This is the apostle that the Lord Jesus gave the entirety of the new covenant to by way of revelation. And Paul said, the thing I'm going to vouch for and the thing I know with Epaphras is that he has a great zeal for you. The people of Colossae, he has a zeal for you. Epaphras' name, his, his zeal is not to see his name beside mine on a document. His zeal is not to write sermons that get placed in the canon of Scripture. His zeal is not to be known all over Asia Minor. Now those things are not bad if God does it. And we want to experience all the growth that God would ever have for us in our lives, in our ministries, in our churches, in our homes. We want to grow to the zenth degree as God gives it to us. But Epaphras wasn't focused and fixated on any of that. Epaphras had a great zeal for the believers in Colossae. And we will discover when, as we go through our New Covenant series coming up in just a few weeks, we will discover that the call of God on each five-fold ministry gift, the call of God is to make the cross real to every believer. Make the cross of Jesus real to every believer, the benefits of the cross, the price that was paid for your sins and for mine, and how we can now live as believers in the power of the Holy Spirit because we place our faith in a risen Christ. This is the call that goes out to every pastor, to every evangelist, to every apostle, prophet, and teacher. It also goes out to every Christian. And so what Epaphras did was he did not strive to establish his authority in the body. He didn't fight to get his voice heard. He didn't defend any ground as far as a position or a place. The Apostle Paul just recognized it in him. Hallelujah. And that's the first point. It's actually not, but I'm adding a point to this message tonight. When A, a few weeks ago, I began to pray, and I began to pray in a different way. My ministry and my needs for the ministry occupy now a very small amount of my prayer life. And every time I read the Bible, I do not read the Bible to get yet another sermon to preach. The first and foremost thing that we must concentrate on and fixate our gaze upon is how we are walking, how we are running our race with Jesus, and how we are living a sanctified life because of the power of the cross. 
And the more that we fixate and the more that we focus on our ministry, the more we feel that we need to defend or to project or to protect. But I heard Lester Summerall say many, many years ago, he said, I've never seen a banana tree running all over the backyard screaming, I'm a banana tree. I'm a banana tree. I'm a banana tree. Uh, but he just, that tree just produced fruit. Just produced fruit. So what, what I'm saying to you tonight, church, is this. Instead of striving with one another over titles, instead of saying, hey, look at me, see me, hear me, I'm important, I'm valuable, look what I can do. We've got a world that's dying and going to hell, and we've got Christians standing off on the side. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. Instead of fixating on that, instead of focusing on that, preach the gospel. Get somebody saved today. Hey, glory to God, that's what he's put us here for, to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth. Stop trying to tell people off and try to tell people the story of Jesus Christ. Glory, hallelujah to the Lamb. Tell them the story that'll get them saved, that'll get them healed, that'll get them delivered, and that'll get them set free from whatever has them in bondage. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. You show me someone who is focused totally on what they can do. I'll show you somebody who doesn't understand grace. You show me someone who is fixated on being seen and heard. I'll show you somebody who needs a trip to the altar to understand this thing afresh and anew. I want to tell you something, my dear friends, and many of my partners listen to the radio broadcast. Many watch the videos on YouTube and wherever else we place them. But I want to tell you this right now. Listen to me. It's going to become critical as we get into the last of the last days. The further we go into the last days, don't follow ministries that tell people off. Don't follow ministries that have to try to be the loudest. Don't follow ministries that bite and send forth smart mouth remarks and responses to people. Why? Because we have got a job to do that doesn't involve personalities and ego. It, we need a prophetic word. We need a meaty word in the body of Christ right now. The last thing we need is somebody slipped from the beauty parlor, pump a dirt and slip haired, shiny-shoed evangelist that comes through town and promises you the moon. Don't, don't follow things like that. Follow the guy that opens his Bible and with a broken heart declares to you what thus saith the Lord in this time for you and for me, the time that we're living in. Hallelujah to God. There's some folks out there that have great ministries. They have great ministries as far as when they preach and teach the Word. It's the other stuff they get involved with that ruins them, that sets them on the sideline. Let's keep our purposes straight. 
We are not here to win a popularity contest. I am not here to make you my friend. I am not here to make you like me. I am not here to give you a book report that makes you feel good all the time. Now, we need some messages that pump us up, that build our faith. Yes, amen. But I'm not here to do that every single time. I am here to unpack what God has placed in my heart through His Word and to give it to you. And what you do with it is up to you. And I really don't care people's opinions about what I preach. The ones I care about, what they think about what I preach, I've already talked to them. I've already run it by them to make sure that I was hearing correctly. And that's the second thing that we need to focus on too, is we need to find people in the Lord that we can submit to in these days. People that can help us keep our attitudes in check and can help us to accurately hear and discern what God is saying in this hour. Let's read this verse again and we'll get to point one. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ, he greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And sometimes that will of God is different than the will of Len. I've learned that over the years. God will bring us to a place where we will be happy to do what He wants us to do, as opposed to doing what we want to do. God will bring us to that place. He's gracious and He's merciful. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. Epaphras' focus was the people at the church of Colossae. The people whom he had been called to shepherd. And those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren which are in Laodicea and Memphis and the church that is in his house. The first thing that we can see from the life of Epaphras is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. The Bible says this, As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. And these are the first two points. First of all, Epaphras was persistent in ministry. He teaches us to be faithful in the Lord's work, year after year, within the same ministry. Not just rising up to an occasion and filling a spot and then dropping back. Epaphras, year after year, was faithful within the same ministry Weariness did not stop him. Criticism did not stop him. Fatigue did not stop him. Lack of resources did not stop him. Nothing could stop him because he had heard the calling of the Holy Spirit in his life. And so he was persistent in ministry. And then secondly, he was precise in his communication. And this is where things can start to break down. We want to make certain... First of all, it says that he declared to us your love in the Spirit. And when he described these people to the Apostle Paul and Paul's team, 
Remember that Paul went out in team ministry. And when he described it to the Apostle Paul and his team, he gave an accurate decision because Paul wrote one of the greatest books of all time, the book of Colossians, and he effectively spoke to that community of believers for the very first time. He had never met them before based on what he learned from the vocabulary and the words of Epaphras. He communicated the dilemma that they were facing. He communicated their need and their faithfulness as clearly as anyone could have. And Paul knew exactly what he needed to address in his letter as the Holy Spirit took this accurate, precise communication from Epaphras and as he gave it to Paul, the Holy Spirit zeroed in on what Paul would need to address. And so we need to accurately represent one another in the days that we're living in. We need to be a little less free to offer opinion and a little less free to offer presumption. And we need to be precise in communication. We also need to accurately represent Jesus Christ. And this is where we're going with that new covenant series that we're going to teach. Uh, I'll take the time here tonight to just say this. Um, it's called by many different names. Some people call it New Covenant Theology, New Covenant Teaching. Other people call it the message of the cross. Others call it faith and grace. We're basically talking about the same thing. We're talking about what Jesus Christ did on our behalf when he went to the cross to redeem mankind. And that still is the message of this Bible. The message of the Bible, the entire Bible, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the message of a coming Redeemer in the Old Testament and a Redeemer who has come in the New Testament. They looked forward, we look back to see that cross in a point in time and when we get into it, we're going to look at it from the Greek where it tells you that the cross was a one-time event that has, that, that the effect of it is continuously happening from the time of the cross even until now. The effect of the cross is a continuous working even though the cross itself, Jesus is not crucified afresh and anew, ever. He was crucified once for all, and that one for all time event has continuing results until the end of time. And that's why people are getting saved, people are getting set free, delivered, people can be filled with the Holy Spirit because of the cross, people can be healed because of the cross, People can be blessed because of the cross, and we're going to look at all of that. But I want to say that in the terminology that we use, um, even though I learned a great deal about this message from a particular ministry, I do not want my terminology to be mistakenly linking me to them directly, because I'm not. And I think those of you that, that were with me then, you understand what I'm saying and why I'm saying it. Uh, I love them, 
And I agree 100% with much of the theology that they teach. And in fact, I'm going to share some of it with you when we get into that series. And the series is not going to be just a couple weeks. We're going to be in it a while, but we're going to format it in such a way that each message will stand on its own because of the fact that we only do one show every two weeks live here with you. There will be other messages, and even now on the Old Time Power uh, podcast, I have many classic messages that I preach on the work of the cross. And they're all over out there. You can go look and find them, and it would be a blessing to you, I believe. But here from the, from the pastor Epaphras, pastor Epaphras, now that can be a tongue twister. First of all, we see that we are to be persistent in ministry and precise in our communication. Thirdly, from verse 12 and 13, we are to be passionate in prayer. How many of you know that if you, those you pray for, you don't have time to criticize? Right? Those that you pray for, little by little, as you pray for people, this is why I, I pray for people that, I, that consider me their enemy. If I find out who they are, I mean, because I don't spend a lot of time hanging around my enemies, but... I mean, if, I, if somebody tells me, you know, so-and-so just really don't like you and this, that, and the other, I just start praying for them. Why? Because in that prayer, somehow God always puts a love in my heart for them. It's very difficult to pray for people and not have a love put in your heart for them if you pray faithfully and if you pray honestly. I mean, now don't pray crazy prayers like, oh, God, smash them, and oh, God, get them, and all that stuff. Pray for them if they're not saved, pray for them that they would come to know the Lord. If they are saved, and, and just because they may do me wrong doesn't mean they're not saved. Don't fall into that trap. Well, they did something I didn't like, so they ain't saved. They probably are. If they claim Christ, and it, it, I'm sure some people see some evidence there. So what you do is you pray for them that, that the Lord would continue his sanctifying process in and make them like Christ. And the more you pray, the more you pray. That's why Jesus said, pray for those that despitefully use you. Pray for those who, who misuse you and who hate you and who are your enemies because he puts a love in your heart for them. And it might not immediately and it might not ever change the situation. It might not ever change the relationship. But as we pray, we are to be passionate in prayer. Epaphras prayed faithfully. The word always is used. He prayed fiercely. The word laboring is used. And he prayed fervently. And you can also look at Romans 12.11 and James 5.16 for examples of this in the Word of God. He also prayed factually. He prayed that they would become complete in all the will of God. The way that Epaphras agonized for the Colossian believers describes a person who works until he is exhausted. How many times have we heard in our world today, especially in our culture today, that that would be a bad thing? 
But that's the Greek word used here for labor. He labored for them until he was literally exhausted. He prayed for them, spending his energy, spending energy from his inner man to pray to touch heaven for the people under his charge. And this is where your job is important, Pastor. You know, I've often got off onto to others in the church who, who are doing wrong things and who are presenting themselves wrong. But now let me talk to you for a minute, Pastor. You should be looking. You should be in prayer, seeing with the eyes of the Spirit. The people in your congregation who have talents and gifts and abilities and who are called to use those that God gave them talents and gifts and abilities not to sit on them, but to use them in his kingdom. And if you're their pastor, you ought to be putting them out there where they can use them. You need to train them and unchain them and let them go forth in this generation called and anointed and equipped by God to bring a harvest in in these last days. Well, a pastor will do that if he's praying for his people. And a lot of times what I see is pastors who don't spend that much time in prayer. They spend time on the golf course. They spend time on the motorcycle. They spend time at the beauty parlor but not a whole lot of time in prayer. Nothing wrong with those things. But if people have been entrusted to your care as a spiritual leader, you should be praying over them and praying for them. And the Lord will show you where He wants to use them. And then you help them get equipped. And you help them get out there and bring a harvest into your church in these last days that you can all grow as disciples together. So Epaphras was persistent in ministry. He was precise in communication. He was passionate in prayer. And fourthly, he was particular about people. We can't pray fervently for people without a zealous love for people. And I, when I'm talking about love, I'm not talking about the smarmy and the ridiculous kind that falls all over him and blubbers and... I'm talking about a love that will, that will help them find the right course, that will help them find the right path, that will set them... You know, love, love will speak the truth, but don't use that as an excuse to speak the truth with no love. Alright? And, and love will speak the truth. That's the highest call of love, is to point you to Jesus Christ in all things, not just your salvation but in all things of life, that we would share with one another the path of Christ, which is the path of the cross. One thing I hope that when we get into this series, that we see it, that we see it the way that the revivalist of old saw it. Now, this is not a new revelation. I've heard people try to claim that the message of the cross is a, is a new and unique revelation to them, but it really isn't. I, I've been reading the Puritans until my eyes are like burned holes in my head. 
And I'm telling you, it's all over their writings. I also am reading revivalists from the first and second great awakening. The first great awakening was primarily a Puritan revival in many ways. The second great awakening, not so much, but they preached the same identical thing, that the way of the cross is a total way of life for the believer, from the moment they get saved until the moment they graduate to glory, it's the message of the cross. This is not unique to a particular ministry now. This has been preached for 2,000 years since Jesus ascended back to the Father. And this is a foundation of the church. And a lot of believers truly, truly don't understand it. They truly don't understand it because it's still, it comes down to it's a work, it's a, it's a, it's a thing I do, uh, it's, 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 a, it's something that I can set my hand to, and if I don't have those things, I'm not happy and I'm not content because we're not getting our contentment from Jesus, we're getting it from Jesus plus those things I can do for him. And, and they will get violently angry with you and act like you're trying to take their dreams away when you tell them these type of things. They'll, they'll always, most, I've, I've hardly ever known it to be different, that a person who doesn't understand the message of grace will become really angry and upset with you when you point out that relationship is not based on what we do it's based on what we are and who, whose we are, who we belong to, which is Christ. And it's based on faith. And this goes much deeper, much deeper than simply not doing works in an effort to earn righteousness. I think most of us understand that we don't do works to earn righteousness. But it goes deeper than that. If we have a works mentality, it will affect our peace. It will affect our joy. It will affect all of the fruit of the Spirit. It will effectively cut us off from operating in genuine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we will operate in Satan's counterfeits, because counterfeits always operate in the area of flesh. And the genuine gifts of the Holy Spirit will manifest through uh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And how do we walk in the Holy Spirit? By faith in Jesus. And then He sends His Spirit to help us. And the Spirit rises up and does a work within us. And that is the work that spills out of us. It's just like Jesus Himself doing the work through us, through our body, through our life through our mannerisms, using our personality, but it's Jesus Himself. That's what we're after. So I think a lot of understanding has to come in this area. I believe that a lot of understanding has to come about being particular about people. You can't pray fervently without a zealous love for them. And the better that we know people, the better we will pray for them. The more we love them, the more we will pray for them. And when you notice, I, I didn't bring the little thing I wrote down about Psalm 15. But when you notice the 15th Psalm, it says, Who will abide in his tabernacle, and who shall ascend his holy hill? 
and it gives you people who qualify to do that. And almost every one of them things, it doesn't say, you know, you can go look at Psalm 15 and see what it says there. It doesn't say build big universities. It doesn't say uh, build a big ministry. It doesn't say build a big church. It doesn't say do this and do that. Every single thing that it says in Psalm 15 is a character feature. Meaning that it develops in the heart. It has to develop in the heart first before it can ever flow out in a natural, physical ministry. It must develop in the heart first. And that's where as believers begin to understand the cross, once again, I think we'll see that in a new and fresh way. How that God wants to work in us every day. And He has to work in us before He can work through us. And so that comes by faith. And it only comes by faith and in no other way. Alright, let's get ready to wrap this up tonight. But let's look at the opposite of Epaphras. This is the first time I've tried to um, contrast these two men in the church. Epaphras, the pastor, recognized by Paul, approved by Paul, sent forth by Paul, equipped by Paul. And then Diotrepes in 3 John. Let's read verses 9 and 10. Paul, or John says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrepes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So we see two different kinds of people here. Epaphras was persistent in ministry. He was passionate in prayer. He was precise in his communication. He was particular about people. Diotrephes, however, would not receive the apostles, and in this case, John. He didn't want to receive John, and here's the reason why, because John would have outshined him, because John was a hand-picked, John was breathed upon, and the reason that we know that Diotrephes was not is because he had to try to be. Remember what I said about from Lester Summerall? A, a banana tree doesn't jump all over the woods saying, I'm a banana tree, I'm a banana tree, I'm a banana tree. Now, if an apple tree wanted to fool you, it might do it. And Diotrephes was in the church, but he wanted more than what God had given him. And so in order to get it, he has to fool people. But John said, when I come, I'm going to tell it. I'm going to point it out. I'm going to refer to that. I'm going to refer to the things he does. And he's not even content to just sit over here and pipe up once in a while. He's got to try to get everybody else to not receive them too. And then he puts them out of the church. This is the danger of desiring power. The great English preacher, who many say was the last true Puritan, Charles Spurgeon, once said this, A man who will not do well in his present place 
because he longs to be higher, is already too high and should be put lower. The self-seeking and self-important theotropies heads a long line of people who never learned to distinguish between love for Christ and love for their place in the church. Now I want you to let that sink in. John writes stinging words about this leader within the church because he posed a serious danger. He was power hungry and prideful. He aggressively opposed the truth and those who were preaching it. He worked hard to keep anyone out who might threaten his position. And he used his influence to promote selfishness in others. Those with Diotrephes disease want to be first. They greedily seek prominence and control. Yet only one, only one person can have preeminence against God's, among God's people, and that person is Christ. And you can read Colossians 1.18. So our focus as believers should not be our position within the church, but rather our participation in the work of the church to advance God's work and to bring Him glory. We serve God best when we generously employ the resources and the talents He has given us to serve His people. Now that's the truth of this matter. And that's what you see all throughout the New Covenant Church. And so as I close tonight, having contrasted these two mindsets and leading us into, closer into anyway, our teaching series on the New Covenant. Every single one of us has a role to play in the last day's church. And there is no big role, little role. They're all God-called, God-appointed roles. Each of us are called to function in a body, bringing the gospel as we are the light of the world. We are individually. How much brighter? Have, you know, you go stand on a beach at midnight, and you hold up a lighter or a flashlight right by yourself. There's light there. But now you bring 20 more people and you all hold up your light. Bring a hundred more and hold up your light. Bring a thousand and hold up your lights. What happens? The light increases. It gets brighter and brighter and brighter. That's the way this is going to snowball. The day of the big ministry is over. The day of team ministry is just beginning. Once again, like it did in the days of the early church. The days of, of men and women submitting to one another and helping one another to stay straight as we go forward into the greatest harvest this world has ever known the greatest harvest of souls right before the Lord comes back. And I believe it's at our doorstep. 
And I believe it's all I believe it started in some places right now. And we have to be ready. And we get each other ready. And God created us to function in a body. And he's going to be emphasizing that more and more and more and more as we go along. And he's going to flow his resources to a body. And he's going to pour his anointing on a body. And what each of us can do individually is to add our individual to the collective and watch God multiply loaves and fishes in our midst. And that loaves and fishes, in this case, could be souls. It can be money. Whatever we need to put the gospel out, God is going to answer a corporate cry. God is going to answer a corporate cry for an awakening in America once again. If there's going to be one, it's going to come as the body. And it ain't going to be everybody. There's going to be an awful lot of people saved that you and I never thought would be, you know, and, and they just don't get it. Well, we have to we have to tell you what he wants from his New Testament word. He's going to have a remnant that will embrace the importance of community and will embrace the importance of going forth collectively in the name of Jesus Christ to set the captives free. And so as I share my thoughts with you on this tonight, I want you to I want to leave you with two things. And we'll go back into some music and I'll come back a little bit later. And um, and say a few more things about this. But I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts tonight. First of all, I want to encourage all of you when we start talking about uh, the, the New Covenant, we're going to look at Greek word studies. We're going to go all the way through. We're going to look at Old Testament types. We're going to spend a lot of time trying to show you what Jesus has done for you and what that means in your everyday life. Uh, it's great. Going to heaven is great. And that is the, the, the main thing was eternal life. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And, and he that believeth in me shall never die, but will have everlasting life. This is all very, very true. But God also came to do something about the lives that we live. And that power and that ability to live victorious lives, to be Christians, that ability comes to the cross. And we're going to take a lot of time to look at uh, great sections of the New Covenant. Romans 6, 7, 8, Galatians 5, Galatians 3, uh, Colossians 2, uh, on and on and on. We're going to tear it up as far as looking at the words from the original language and what they mean. And somebody said, well, that's not necessary. I, I don't have to know Greek. I can read the Bible. Yes, you can. And I never said it was necessary. But I can, I can just already tell you, somebody's going to put that out there, you know. And, uh, you, you know, people who, uh, let me just say this, people who um, would even say that, 
would even make that a point of contention, they got issues, man. I mean, you don't even have to take the time to address that. Yes, you don't need to know Greek. You don't need to know Hebrew, but it isn't going to hurt you either. And it will show you some things that you can't really see uh, as well in the English text. And so we're going to um, really take our time with this. We also want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we want to take a look at what the Apostle Paul taught about sectarianism. And as we do that, I, I believe it's going to help us to understand. I've been asked so many times as a Pentecostal believer, I mean, why do you work at all these other events with all these other denominations? And there's a reason for it. And I believe we can show you why we should be doing that from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we have all this stuff coming up later in the year. And uh, I pray that you will tune in as often as possible. And uh, I've been a little bit uh, tired lately and a little bit. We started out in April. April, May, and June were killer as far as travel was concerned. And uh, I'm still trying to catch up, I'll be honest with you. But by, I'll tell you what, by the end of the summer, we're going to be right where we need to be. And we're going to be ready, ready, ready for what God has for us in September and October and November. Um, we're going to have a, a much busier month in August than we did in July. Um, and I want to mention that, I'm glad I started talking about this. I want to mention to everyone who gave in July. Now we still have some May-June packages yet to go. Um, and what we're going to do is turn that into a May-June-July for everyone that gave in July. We're going to pass along a copy of Pastor Carter Conlon's book, Unshakable, uh, to you, because I believe it'll bless you. And I don't want to just send a bunch of stuff out there that waste your time, and, and, and I don't want to do that. Time's a pretty precious thing, so we want to send that book to those of you who gave uh, in the month of July. And we've also got several May and June packages that have not gone out yet. And as I said, April, May, and June were absolute crazy uh, months on the road. And we had a lot of challenges come up, but God was so good in all of them. I mean, we had tires going out on us. We had uh, things go wrong with our house. We had uh, things go wrong with our health and all of these things. But as Paul said, none of these things move me. And I don't count my life dear to myself. My purpose, and I exist for one purpose, and that is to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm concerned basically with that and little else. And the older I get, the fewer things I'm really concerned about, you know. And so I appreciate your prayers. I appreciate all of you who have partnered with us and helped us to take the message out. Uh, all around this country, and literally through programming like this all around the world. This is Jerry Williams with Tell Me Who.